Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today you are tuning in to Spell It Out, Magic, Reflections, and Shadow, in which I take a topic and run with it. So today I'm going to be looking at the U.S. astrological chart again, but particularly looking at the Aquarian moon and reviewing a little bit of the Pluto return, which I've mentioned in long ago in the Cosmic Weather episodes. So we'll be talking about that. And before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to our show. And this is episode number 99. Next week will be our 100th episode, so we're pretty excited about that. And we have a great guest for that, which will be our, one of our fan favorites, the occultist Lon Milo Duquette. And he'll be back to share his wit and wisdom, and so join us for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, the following week, we have Reverend Jim McGrath back, and he's going to be talking about religious tolerance and some of, one of his pet peeves, which is this foolishness about the war on Christmas, and which we all know is a little bit ridiculous. So we're going to get into some of that. And then we're going to end the month with Dan Moore, who's a new guest, a member of the Fraternity um, of the Hidden Light of Hello. And he's going to be discussing Hermetic Kabbalah. So for all you occultists, we've got some really good stuff coming up this month. Um, please get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, and while you're there, if you want to buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi, it helps cover some of our production costs, and we're very happy to, uh, to with the guys that do that. It's really been a pleasure to, to serve you and bring the show to you, but it does help a little bit. So if you can afford it, and if not, enjoy the show. We love entertaining you guys. In December, we're going to be taking our hiatus. I'll be back in January with all new episodes. So I'm not going to take any more time because I know this is a shorter segment. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thanks, Michael. I'm really looking forward to the shows next month or this month, I should say. Uh, so when I decided to pick the topic for this show, it it was because it is a huge election this year for the United States. We're all sort of really uh, nervous, excited, and anxious about it. Uh, so I decided that it might be a good time to continue my own observation of the United States chart. Uh, before we start, I will say that the last two days, I really felt uh, a more light energy enter into the uh, world, at least in the United States. I felt more hopeful than I felt in a long, long time. And I really think it has to do with the voter turnout being already at record numbers. So I feel that people are fighting back, and that really has inspired me. No matter what the outcome, I feel there is a shift in consciousness about what we're willing to do as individual voters. So please, everybody, your vote matters so much. It always matters, but it really matters this year. So please go out and vote, and I think a lot of people are, are doing that. So uh, when I when I look at the United States chart, now there are different charts, and the one I use uh, is 
has uh, the ascendant as Sagittarius at 12 degrees, 21 minutes. It's uh, the number one in the Astro Data Bank. And it's close to the Sibley chart. Uh, there's just a, about a one degree difference. If you're interested in other charts, I would suggest you go to the Astrology Podcast. There's a show there where there's, I forget the name of the person, but you can find it. Uh, it it's a great um, show anyway. And and this uh, one astrologer, it's a woman who goes through all the different possible charts for the United States. And, and there's no right or wrong, but this one that I'm using has a lot of arguments that fit the chart. So I'm not going to go into that today, but that's the one I use and you can get it at astro.com for free. Uh, I was going to do a visual, but since we're also a podcast, I'll just talk about where things are. So um, what I what I wanted to do is first kind of remind people that we are, as a country, moving into our first Pluto return since forming the United States. And uh, so that doesn't happen to a person because it takes... 248 or some such number for Pluto to return to the natal position. And the dates of that, actually, we're still, it's not going to be exact until February, I believe, of 2022. I have it written down somewhere. I'll go over it a little later. I'm pretty sure that's right, though. But we're already pretty close to it. And um, in the cosmic weather, I did talk about the second house and Pluto in Capricorn, which is what we have in the natal chart for the United States. It's also in retrograde, but I will briefly go over a couple of pointers uh, connected to that. So first of all, with the Pluto in retrograde, I really like this uh, website, Pathways to Ascension, uh, by Nancy Detweiler. And on there, there is a free esoteric astrology course by Dr. K. So uh, under the retrograde planet, she writes that uh, Pluto retrograde is a carryover of psychic powers from previous lives, a karmic debt owed to humanity stemming from the age indicated by the sign in which Pluto is located. So then you go and you look and see where ours is in Capricorn, and it goes back to an age which was connected to the aftermath of Atlantis sinking, uh, according to another woman, uh, her name is Myrner Loftus, and she said that it was a period for powerful men, but they were not pertinent to what was needed. There was stoicism, but uncaring of what happens, and there were bodies without spirit. So I, I've heard this, we talked about this on my father's show, that there could be, America has um, a lot of people that could have incarnated from the period of Atlantis, and there's theories about what happened with Atlantis, and one is the misuse of technology. So we owe a debt, according to the astrological chart of um, the United States, in the area of the second house, which has to do not only with money and finances, but with how we, our resources and how we utilize resources and our values. So I really think it's very pertinent when you think of what's been going on, where people are questioning even more so collectively our values and the history behind it. But in the metaphysical world, you would just take it a little further than even, you know, a couple hundred years to the sort of metaphysical history. So that's one theory. Um, so the other thing that's very karmic about the United States chart is if you look at, you look at the different hemisphere emphases, and if you break it into half and you look at the right half of the chart versus the left half, and this is with the vertical line going through, 
you see there are more planets on the right. And that is supposed to be or is considered to be more of a reaping, karmic reaping chart in general. So we're kind of reaping things. Whereas if it's on the left, you have more planets. It's more like you're planting seeds. So that that was very interesting to me. So I, I think that uh, one of my influences right now that I'm reading is um, Dan Rudyar. And he has a fantastic book on the houses. Uh, and it's called, let me get the title, because there's two. He has two, The Astrological. Astrological Houses, a Spectrum of Individual Experience by Dane Rudyard. So what I like about him, uh, he talks about astrology more as a symbolic language and that we are meant to interpret it more from that point of view. And one of my complaints or rants against uh, even astrologers I admire is when they look at the transit, say they say, okay, we're looking at the upcoming Saturn Jupiter Jupiter conjunction December they they do it without any kind of reference to a chart so there's no uh, way to determine how you're going to experience that particular event and it's a very popular thing to do and it's really caught on through the years so one could take your own natal chart and look at it through the lens of that to see what's happening but in in the case of people that want to do sort of a, a broad perspective on astrology, which I think can be very useful. Why not take a country chart? And especially because the more I've sat with and looked at the astrology chart of the United States, you can see how we are the way we are, at least in terms of themes and archetypes. So that's one of my sort of pet peeves. And I really hope that even if you're a beginner astrologer, you'll you'll get inspired to try to do this yourself because everybody can do it. You know, everybody can at least take a chart and take a look at it and say, hey, what does this symbol mean to me? And so we go to astrologers who hopefully understand symbols, just like tarot card readers will understand symbols and help us interpret. But even um, Dane Ridyar says that we should learn to interpret things ourselves, And I'm a big proponent of that so that you can work with others, but you can also do it yourself. So that's one of my goals, and I hope that inspires you. Uh, so one of the things also about um, Pluto is that, according to Erin Sullivan, who I know I talk a lot about, but I really like her, uh, she talks about whenever um, you you have a, a retrograde in Pluto, that there's this uh, theme of about integrity and about standing your in, in your integrity no matter uh, if you have to stand alone, and sort of digging deep into the deepest recesses of your mind. So we have this Pluto return where we as a country, as individual people in this country, get a chance to dig very deeply over a long period of time, because this has been going on since Pluto entered Capricorn in 2008. So we don't do this overnight, and we can even take it forward with us, but we're all meant to be kind of going deeper and saying to ourselves, what do we want this country to represent? What are the values? What are our resources? The second house, I think, can also, also relate to security since it's connected to Taurus and maybe looking at ways in which we feel insecure about our resources and do we have enough and, and that kind of thing might be very relevant. So I think that's a, a really good way to look at the Pluto retrograde. But today, I also wanted to go into... Um, the one of the things I haven't talked about, I have talked about the, the sun sign of cancer in the United States chart, but I wanted also to look at and talk about 
the fact that we have a moon in Aquarius. And depending on the chart you use, uh, the one I use, it falls into the third house. And Dane Rogers does fall into the second house. But I, I do like the third house moon. And I'll tell you a couple of reasons why uh, as we move for, forward. So anyway, it's in um, the moon is in 27 degrees of 10 uh, minutes of Aquarius. But it also has Pallas Athena retrograde almost conjunct uh, within like one degree. And so that adds a, a sort of, I think, interesting flavor to the moon in Aquarius. And I, I think they do get along. Uh, other than I'm, I'm still trying to work out a little bit what the retro retrograde will mean for the Pallas Athena. But we'll go over a little bit about what, what that particular asteroid is. So basically, many of you know that the moon will represent your, your inner being, your private feelings, the subconscious habits, your, uh, on an esoteric level, according to Dimitri George, it refers to your past, your early childhood influences, racial heritage, and past lives. So I would say that's another place you could probably see any sort of um, history coming through the United States. And uh, many people have heard about the age of Aquarius, and I'm going to talk about that in a couple minutes too, about when it started and if it started. And even though we're not a fully Aquarian country in that we're, you know, I would say if you have maybe Aquarius sun and Aquarius rising, that makes it a little stronger. However, the moon is important. And I feel like it's, it is part of our destiny to be part of this age of Aquarius. And in the third house, um, it, it's a nice placement for the moon in Aquarius. Uh, it's related to short trips, communication, routine interactions, um, teaching, writing, messages, correspondences, uh, short journeys, neighbors, siblings. One of the things I thought was interesting is, is the idea of Twitter being invented in America. And I think that Twitter could totally be a third house phenomena. So I think there's enough sort of indication that we, the moon in Aquarius would really fit as Aquarius also, many of you know, is connected to technology and innovation. But what's interesting about the United States chart with the moon being in Aquarius and the sun in Cancer is in a way it's not an easy fit. And we do have a lot of Cancerian energy in the seventh house. We have the Aquarian energy that is about brotherhood and, and uh, sisterhood, about uh, technology, invention. It's the rebel, the outcast, the one that seeks the truth is what I remember Stephen Forrest talking about and uh, is more likely to, you know, not be as interested in the tribe or family as the Cancerian would be. So we have a little bit of a tension there, I would say. Uh, what's, what's interesting, too, about the Aquarian moon to me in this is that it's funny that Aquarius, on the one hand, represents a transpersonal sign, and it represents more of a collective energy, but at the same time, it's about being yourself within that uh, that collective. So that that almost sounds kind of difficult. And if anyone that knows an Aquarian, like my I know my father's an Aquarian, uh, he's he is sometimes a loner and can be a lone wolf until he you know he finds the people that fits who he is and his values and the messages that he wants to do. And then also because sometimes Aquarius represents innovation, you can sometimes be an outcast because you're ahead of the crowd. And yet they, Aquarian energy can do very well with lectures and the public and, you know, again, 
causes and, and things like that. So it's, a, it's a, both a collective and very individualistic kind of energy. And if you look at uh, one of the, the issues of I find with the United States is this rugged independence and that we overemphasize that. And that could relate a little to the Aquarian energy, but I also think it has to do with the um, Chiron in the fourth house in Aries, which I'm going to mention a little bit because I'm not going to have time for everything. So anyway, I think it's really fascinating that we have this Aquarian moon because I think that we are part of the age of Aquarius and um, what I like, like I also like the esoteric view of Aquarius and you'll get that mostly through the theosophists. You'll, if you sort of Google esoteric astrology, you'll see that seems to be part of what they see astrology moving towards. And, uh, and as a result, there are changes even in rulership. So, for instance, the esoteric Aquarius, its esoteric ruler is actually Jupiter, and normally we see uh, the exoteric ruler is what they call is Uranus or Saturn. And um, it, it's, um, I like that they each, in the, the sort of esoteric astrology, they have these sort of little phrases they have for each of the signs. And for Aquarius, it's the water of life am I poured forth for thirsty man. So it's quite beautiful. And, and then getting back a little to the idea of what a chart really is about, the idea of the chart is that we think about it, we look at sort of the symbolism, and then we look at sort of how to um, work with the energies of the chart, which is something uh, that Dane Ridger was really big on, and as well as the fact that he started calling uh, astrology more of a person-centered um, science rather than um, location center. And he has really interesting arguments about that in the book I mentioned in the beginning about the houses. So I would say that um, for me with the Aquarius moon, uh, I would say that we as part of what we're meant to be doing as a country does involve a lot of innovation. And then you think about it with technology, we are definitely doing that. And then I think at some point, you know, because of the Pluto in Capricorn, it's the, you know, sort of how we use this technology is going to determine whether or not we're going to repeat what happened, if this is true, with Atlantis, if we are going to destroy ourselves through technology, or are we going to take technology and apply it to our sun sign, the Cancer, in the seventh house, and sort of say, hey, we're doing this to actually help other people and to give this in a way that benefits everyone because we also have jupiter and cancer which is interesting because that is supposedly the the esoteric ruler of aquarius it gets kind of complicated uh but one of our i think i going back to the idea of the rugged individualist i think that that is an issue we have to really deal with and i don't think that we can go back to sort of a tribal consciousness with uh, how, which is the Piscean age. So from what I can tell from most people, um, I would say that at least more than 50% of people think that the age of Aquarius is not here yet, but we're in the transition. There are some people that have think that we have already started it, but basically the age of Aquarius, 
Um, the reason they don't know when it starts because they don't know when Pisces started. So they know how long an age is, but they don't know when, it, you know, often it starts. So one astrologer, Philip Lindsay, said we are between Pisces and Aquarius, but it's, the transition began actually in the 1700s when Uranus was discovered and that there's a 500-year cusp and we'll be fully into Aquarius in 2200. Then William Metterer also thinks we're in a transitional period, which leads to heightened polarization. And it's, uh, which, which, now that's an interesting point I did want to bring up. He says that that's a natural byproduct between two great forces. And they won't, um, we won't be fully into um, the age of Aquarius, according to him, until 2117. So it's a little bit less than Lindsay's. There's um, Rudolf Steiner, interesting enough, he predicted it way in the future. It's like, 3,573, and I don't know why, but that one was way ahead. And uh, we have also Dane Rudyard, and he predicts it actually within um, this century, 2062. But as I said, some people think, think it started in 1930, some a little bit earlier. But I, I feel like we're in the transitional period because there's still a lot of tribalism. We still have a lot of the religions really still have a lot of power when you think about it, which is a Pisces concept. We still have that kind of religious fanaticism, but we obviously have a lot of the Aquarian energy, particularly with technology and people wanting to be more themselves and accept things that were not acceptable under the Pisces age. Uh, so I think you can safely say you're at least in the transitional period with the age of Aquarius. Uh, so, you know, one of the things, as I said, that William Metter said about this age, and I, I think this is important because of this election, is this divisiveness is not a short-term thing. It's not a short-term phenomena. And that is because we're transitioning into quite a different world. And evidently, when we are fully transitioned, there will be much more obvious of a paradigm shift. And so though Donald Trump represents probably a symptom more than a cause, just because if hopefully he is not reelected, I think this divisiveness is still going to continue in some form unless we begin each of us to look deeply into our own psyches. And it, it is helpful to, if you want to understand, let's say, certain trends in the culture, whether it's fashion or political, to then maybe look at how this you would operate within the astrological chart. So for instance, I do have a lot of cancer in my chart. So there are things I know I can relate to with the pulse of the United States because I, I have a lot of similarities actually. I have Aquarius rising, there's Aquarius moon, just by happenstance. So I think it's important we all start taking the time to dig deeper into our psychic world our psychological world. And this is actually part of the root of the problem in the United States with Chiron and Aries in the fourth house. And the fourth house is such a tricky house. It's a very, it's the deepest house in the chart. And although it does on the outside represent home and the end of life and real estate and family, it is also our deep psychological world. And I think we're at a point that no matter how much activism we do, if we don't really start digging into the psychological aspects and the shadow aspects of projections, we're not going to be able to evolve consciously into a different paradigm. We will 
end up repeating some of the same problems. So again, that doesn't mean one should withdraw from the world, but taking the time to do it at times uh, and, and maybe on a regular basis, I think would be very important. Because I think that concept of the rugged individual is more connected to the Chiron and Aries. If you think of Aries as that's part of its lesson in a way is to be an individual no matter what. And it's a cardinal sign and it's fiery and I'm going to, it doesn't matter what people think about me. Well, since it's Chiron in that area, that's where our wounds are. And, and our wounds as a country, I think, are in the foundation itself. And I mean that on not just a sort of sort of practical level, like how the country was founded. We Many of us know that it was a, a violent um, event. If you think about it, we've often used violence to continue to work with our country's growth. And is this really where we want to keep going? We've also, I think, overexpanded into other pe people's cu cultures, which could be, of course, Jupiter and Cancer a little bit in the seventh house. But I think we could turn that around if we could turn around the deeper wounds, which to me have to do with the second house and the fourth house overall. So um, at some point, I'd like to go deeper into the, the Chiron and Aries because United States chart is really fascinating right now. Not only do we have this Pluto return coming, but we have roughly, I, I, I have to get the exact uh, times again, but we have a Neptune opposition that's developing. And then we have the Chiron return in the U.S. chart. Will It gets close in July of 2023, but it will be exact in the April April 2024. So below the horizon in the chart is considered to be more subconscious. And as a result, I think that's where you get some irrational things that we don't collectively understand because we haven't, like Carl Jung said, we haven't truly dealt with the shadow. And if you don't think you have any responsibility with Donald Trump being there, in one sense, we all do. And of course, we, we, we fight it, many of us, but it's, it's, it's a reflection of the whole consciousness in a sense. So to me, if one person begins to change the consciousness, that is very powerful and it will have an effect on everyone. So that's why even one person working on themselves is very important. And again, this is not to say you don't you know, go out there and vote. Absolutely, you do. You go out and do activism. But I would really advise people to start integrating that more, particularly in the next two to three, four years in this country anyway, it could make a huge difference in how we, we react, how we don't react to things with that Aquarian moon and Twitter. We're just sometimes when we, we tweet so quickly, it's cold and unfeeling and we don't really look at the responsibility we have to the effect we have on other people. And I think that's very important because, again, these technological things are going to get bigger and broader because we're going into the age of Aquarius. And uh, the other thing that I really hope we really think about is that concept of truth and how Aquarius ideally wants the truth. And one of the disappointing things in this country it has been the amount of lies that people believe. It's not easy to find the truth, whether it's just the truth about a story, the truth about ourselves, 
but I really feel it's, it's the right time to be seeking the truth and to, as much as possible, then communicate things truly and not for an effect or as a reaction to things. Again, that could be related more to the Cancerian side, reacting to things emotionally or, or maybe out of fear, which as a Cancerian woman, I can tell you is, is something that I've had to deal with a lot in my own lifetime is overcoming all kinds of fears. But we can do it because we have the means to do it. And we also have a, a Sagittarius Ascendant, which is about freedom and about philosophy. Uh, it can get kind of pompous, I think. Uh, but I think that can, again, be something that will lead us into a future that is more inclusive of everybody. So I think that's about it. I did want to mention a couple more things. Transits to watch. I'm not doing a show in December, but I'm sure you can get a lot of information on some of the... December has a very powerful event uh, because Jupiter will be moving into Aquarius on December 19th at 8.07 a.m. Pacific time. And Saturn moves into Aquarius uh, a little bit before that on the 16th at 9.04 Pacific time. And they will be conjunct on the winter solstice in the signs of Aquarius, which has not happened evidently for quite a long time in those signs, those two signs. So that's going to be a very powerful symbol to look at and to evaluate. And I hope that you all go out and vote if you haven't. And thank you all who have voted. And please, everybody, please wear your masks. We're moving into the holiday season and we want to contain this pandemic. So thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you get through this week in a peaceful, safe way. And I look forward to seeing you next week as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together.